You're listening to Recognise Red, the podcast, where we talk about the cultural impact of Me Too and the work that we still have yet to do. I'm Bea Hartshorn, and I'll be talking to campaigners, academics and creatives about the projects that they're working on to fight for gender equality. Welcome back to another series of Recognise Red, the podcast. It's been a while, and someone who took time to speak to me during the last lockdown was Kira Charteris. Kira is a former actress and she now works on this really cool project called I Am Arla, which works to create a safe space for survivors. In this episode, Kira shares her experience of acquaintance rape, how she was raped by someone that she knew and trusted. And then she experienced the compounding trauma of her best friend maintaining a relationship, a friendship with her rapist. Kira is so compassionate and generous in telling her story and I hope that it highlights that when we talk about bystanders it's not always strangers on the street or in a nightclub. We're talking about everyone, our closest friends, colleagues, acquaintances to support survivors, to believe them and to not stay silent and I've decided to split this conversation with Kira into two episodes purely because she was so generous in telling her story and I thought it'd be really worthwhile to listen to everything that she has to say. So please enjoy part one of this conversation and of course, trigger warning, she does discuss her acquaintance rape. Today's guest is Kira Charteris, a former actor turned activist. Kira has previously starred in Pole Dark and the 2017 film Mary Shelley, but now her focus is on I Am Arla, a project which she co-founded to provide support for survivors of sexual assault and rape. Welcome to the podcast, Kira. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on. So as I just mentioned, you were previously an actor and you were beginning your career during this kind of pivotal moment where the film and TV industry were waking up to the Me Too movement. What was your experience of the industry at this time? Well, it was an interesting time for me personally because I was still very much at a point in my journey that was in denial. So I can vividly, obviously, remember this all happening. But in that moment, I was still feeling like all I wanted to do was put my head under a pillow and kind of hide away from it all. Um, it was, it wasn't a discussion I wanted to engage in at the time because I just wasn't ready. Um, and I was feeling actually a lot of, of guilt for knowing that I had this experience, knowing that uh, I had something to say, but just not being ready to to talk about it and getting involved in the conversation at that time. Um, so I was very, very aware, but it was quite a lonely awareness because it wasn't something I wanted to engage in. Um, but I think it's it's really important for me to say that, that that's all okay. You know, mm. I'd like to remind people um, who might be listening or people that I speak to that, you know, being at that point in your journey or, or being at that point in your journey forever, it, you know, it, it's, it's okay. I mean, it, I wish that I had reached out and been able to talk to more people about it, but from a personal point of view, kind of going, you know, this, this movement is making me feel X, Y, Z because of X, Y, Z. Um, I wish I had done that more, but I'm completely content at the fact that, you know, I, I had to go through all those stages. 
and I'd only mm. be here now and, and doing this kind of thing had I gone through this journey of process. But at the time, yeah, I was very like, don't want to be a part of it. You know, if you'd asked me then that I'd be doing this now, that me then would go, you're insane. <laughs> <laughs> That's so understandable. Did you feel as though there was um, more attention being given to there being more women in, in this industry to make other women feel safe, like a kind of cross the balls, not only actors, but also producers and people on set? Were you aware of those conversations at the time? Yeah, I think it was, you know, it was definitely a pivotal point where women were standing up for women and most importantly, standing up for themselves. Um, I wasn't privy to any kind of conversations bar that in my immediate household, you know, um, when I was going into work or anything like that. I mean, between between friends, um, for sure. And it was always a different kind of conversation between those that I was very close with and knew what had happened to me and those who hadn't. But also, you know, my my experience of rape and my rape itself, although it included friends of mine who are in the industry, it wasn't an industry incident, if that makes sense. Mm. So, um, it, you know, it was something that happened in the so-called comfort of my friend's home after celebrating a birthday on a night out it was it was very friendly it wasn't it wasn't professional and I think it's taken a while for people to understand that the me too movement is more than just the entertainment industry you Mm. know when it first kind of broke because of the Weinstein's um, case and because of these kind of points of conversation and the sexual assaults that were coming out in the press and the media and the women that were speaking up were very much coming from the entertainment and TV industry. I think for a moment it did kind of get lost in being a movement that was specific to that. Whereas now, you know, it's, it's, it's hugely universal, which I'm a hundred percent sure is what it set out to be in the first place. Mm. Incredible tomorrow book, but you know, because it was so specific to that at that point um, and so prophylic in its kind of media was surrounding these specific cases at that point. You know, it did feel like if you had a story to tell, it needed to be coming from that kind of an environment. So, you know, even though I have a lot to say on the Me Too movement and, you know, I would say that I'm 100% a part of it and support it, Um, and all of that, I do like to make it clear that what happened to me, although I was an actress at the time, it wasn't an industry Mm. um, event. I mean, I don't really know what difference that makes, but you know, some people just like to take words and twist and try and plot things in their own way. So, you know, and I think what's so key to the story that I'm telling and the truth that I'm sharing is that you know it it was coming from an environment that um was about friendship and should have been safe in that environment I mean a workspace should also be safe but in Mm. terms of my story I'm talking about it from a friendship case point of view not a workplace yeah no completely and I think that's an important distinction to make because you're going hang on a second yes okay it might involve some people you know who are within this industry but actually it happened in a group of friends outside of that environment and we need to talk about 
you know, these Me Too incidents that aren't, you know, just in the papers or getting all the kind of media coverage attention. So, you know, the media is really important and it's and it's and it's great that these kinds of stories are being given the attention that they deserve, because through that you can get some real change. But, you know, it's mm. hard not to feel intimidated by it if you're mm. someone who's not necessarily a name and I'm quoting my fingers in inverted commas like that um or because you know in that moment even for me I felt you know oh no one's going to care about what I have to say well no one's going to care about my story which is just not the case there is space for all of our truths and all of our stories as survivors are really 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 important to the cause Mm. if um, and if that is something you want to speak out on and share your experience with, and that's where you're at in your journey and your process or whatever, you know, it should be up to that person and everybody should feel like there is ground and space underneath them and around them that is open to, to hearing that story and to, you know, for it to be vital in our work mm. forward. So what you experienced was acquaintance rape the person who raped you was a friend and a study conducted by Glasgow University found that sadly more than 90% of rape and sexual assault victims know their attacker obviously I appreciate that you're you're raising awareness of this issue now but do you feel that do you feel as though this issue gets enough airtime do you think we talk about acquaintance rape enough no quite frankly quite brutally in response no I don't think we do um you know if you if you think about it when I was younger certainly and I feel like although I don't like to speak for other people I feel like this is a general kind of consensus that you know when we're younger and we're getting taught about the dangers of the world and what to do and what not to do and what's right and what's wrong you know we a we're not really talk about consent at all not a separate issue but is it, it is its own issue in its own right but we're taught that rape is very much you know somebody who's following you home or corners you in an alley and is usually quite violent and there could be weaponry involved and it's very predatory and you grow up thinking okay that's what it is you don't really expect it in that form it's usually quite horrific and one in a few if you do hear about someone that that's happened to in that way but the fact is is that 90 percent of rape cases are acquaintance rape or are rapes that happen and the victim i hate that word but in this case the victim is someone who knew their attacker and the fact that we are not taught about rape in its most common form and given the tools to to understand that and process that men and women preventative for both sides mm-hmm. is something that absolutely blows my mind um because you know rape is one below murder on the criminal scale yet i feel like 90 percent of us really understand the consequences that come with choosing to murder so do you should you choose though you know it's mm. a really really big choice and 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 uh, most people i like to hope um do not and mm. therefore you know it people understand the consequences of it and they are massive but for some reason rape in its most common form is something that happens all the time you know 
and is kind of its own mini pandemic that seems to be something that women just have to endure um and I know men endure it too but women just endure it on such a more massive scale um and so I find that just on days impossible and mind-blowing to wrap my head around um and there's so much that needs to be done in terms of shifting that across the board from education to prevention to accountability to justice you know there's a whole there's the system but then there's everything that runs around that that needs to be addressed and I do think that one of the first major steps in addressing it is by being really frank about how it happens actually looks like who it could be um and that's not to make women feel afraid and that's not also to say that you know all men are rapists and all men are predators because that's just not true but we do live in a society and in a patriarchy that breeds this kind of behavior and then that behavior has forever and ever and ever and is still to this day completely unaccounted for so you've got women that are having to endure it and men that don't understand what they're doing because they don't have any reference or any accountability there aren't you know if you were dealing with a child and you were trying to teach your kid how not you know they go and they bite someone in the playground you turn around and you go absolutely not that's completely unacceptable we do not bite people there are repercussions to actions that allow us to teach our children and teach kids right from wrong but you know no one's ever been talked about consent and there's not any repercussions so on one hand you're not being taught and on the other hand how can you teach when you know it's at the moment completely decriminalized and completely acceptable so you just end up going round and round in circles and I think it's impossible to to suggest that you know all the change that needs to happen is only to be done in the justice system and only you know we there are many layers before we reach walking into a police station or getting to a courtroom where major major change needs to be happening as soon as possible it's really interesting that you make that comparison with kind of playground behavior because I don't want to kind of generalize but so often when you when you're little you know if boys mean to you it's like oh it's because he likes you or thinking back there's just absolutely no kind of conversation about how you how you physically interact with other children or teens at no point is there any kind of conversation about boundaries or consent and no conversation about it and you know I've had to learn how to say no at 25 years old the you know a huge chunk of the therapy that I've had is understanding my own capacity and my ability to say no um and I just like to clarify that you know even in terms of my rape I did say no multiple times but had I not that would still make it rape so I just like to be clear on that to any that are listening or going well if you didn't know how to say no then what did you expect because that's also excuse my French but bollocks um I think we are we're just taught to endure there's such an incredible amount of endurance that comes with being a woman on you know so many different levels you know now that I'm hoping there's more conversation that's being had around boundaries and what that can look like for a woman and 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 the fact that we are allowed to have them in the same way as men maybe even more so you know and and that everybody's boundaries 
are flexible and different, but you know, they're ours and they're ours to enforce and they're ours to have. And a hundred percent, they are ours to be respected. Yeah, I can, I completely agree. And I think what you said there about the fact that, you know, even if you hadn't said no, still would have been rape, you know, consent can be flexible. It can be given, but also taken away in the same moment or within a short space of time. And as you, as you just said a few moments ago about the need for transparency, the article that you wrote about your story was incredibly transparent and really was such a powerful read. And you detailed what happened to you and, and how this was someone that you knew and also the impact, the kind of effects it had within your close friends. I imagine in so many ways it's, oh my goodness, it's just so incredibly difficult to call out friends on this behaviour there isn't the attention or support that exists in public Me Too stories. And also there's this kind of really complicated situation where, you know, you're really close to your friends, you love them and it, you know, and not having their support just must be utterly kind of shattering. Could, could you tell us a little bit how your friends responded to this incident? Well, for the most part and for most of them, you know, they've been utterly incredible. Um, And I have this tribe of women behind me that are so strong. It's terrifying at times um, in a good way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So inspiring, especially in the last couple of years, as I distanced myself from my friend who, as I explained in my article, uh, was friends with my rapist behind my back, for those that don't know the story. Um, And I found that out and we stopped speaking basically because I couldn't cope with that fact um we did meet once again where she apologized and said it wouldn't happen again and explained all the reasons why most of which were put onto me as things that I had done wrong and in that moment I kind of knew that I was I was dealing with narcissistic abuse is in fact what it was um and I completely pulled away from from that circumstance Um, and that relationship which was tough because she was oh she was my best friend in the world she was like my sister we lived together six months before this all happened I'd known her since school Um, you know and when I look back through that lens you know I still smile I miss that person I miss that friendship for what it was before this happened you know we were incredibly close it happened my rape happened in her home she was the first person I told she had been there for me for four years up until the point that all this kind of came out that in the end actually my rapist and her were still very good friends um so that's what happened there but you know the women who have stuck by me through the process of the last two years as I was saying as I fell out with with my ex-friend and took my case to the police and you know went on that journey have been incredible you know absolutely I I don't know where I would be without them and their kind of vehement support but the thing is you know I don't want to do them down because they're incredible women who I love dearly but you know it it's it's not a it's not a support that's not possible for the majority of people that's what I want to make clear you know the women and the men who have stood by me throughout this 
aren't doing anything extraordinary. You know, many have been tested in many different ways because it's not easy to be contacted by the police as a witness. It's not easy to to be my partner who stood by me through all this. And some of my friends have lost friends who have been caught in the middle of all this and some have gone one way and the others have gone the other, you know. So they're ha- definitely having been easy points, but they haven't done anything extraordinary except trust me and believe me and stand by me. And that is so important because you know survivors are battling every day with a narrative that tells them that they are wrong that it was their fault that what happened to them is not what happened to them that they are lying you know we we have to beat that out of our own minds and from our surroundings on every level every day so the importance of surrounding yourself with people that really really truly have your back and believe you is is an incredible gift but also at the same time it it really should just be the case you know because it's the only way we change things for everybody you know and we quite literally create a safer world is by belief and support and you know without it you know it can't just be survivors fighting for survivors it's got to be survivors fighting for women and women fighting for survivors and and also men as well and men getting involved and educating themselves and being you know it's a much bigger thing than just survivors fighting survivors we need everyone men women non-survivors survivors we've all got to come together and fight what is a catastrophic but very universal and very often thing and we've got to come together and fight it otherwise we won't change anything um so i have i've had incredible support um after losing probably the biggest support system I had in my life in terms of a friend you know it it felt like my whole world wouldn't feel like for it did for a while my whole world fell apart um didn't really know who I was without her but you know other people step up they step in and I will forever be grateful but it it's I now also realize that my bar and my expectation for myself, for my friendships, for my relationships was so low that I allowed myself to to get hurt in other ways. You know, mm-hmm. not my rape, that was not my fault and it's nobody's fault. But in other ways, you know, I, I, I wasn't creating boundaries and the respect for myself that I deserve. Um, and I allowed myself to get, to get really hurt by that. Um, partly because I didn't know what that was and it's taken me a long time and a lot of mental work to to understand my worth and therefore be able to expect it on a certain level you know know my worth and therefore that's what I allow into my life I think it's really important to share that although I have incredible friends this is something that I would expect just from decent human beings you know Mm. just to and not believe blindly, but, you know, believe because the facts are there, the statistics are there, these circumstances exist, it is its own mini pandemic, you know, mm. and I mean, you would question someone that went, you know, COVID's not real, so why would, you know, look at the statistics and and go with that, support survivors, you know, um, and that's not anything extraordinary, it shouldn't be, in my opinion, um, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I'm I'm sorry, as you've corrected me there, it was just the, the kind of one close friend. Yeah, I mean, and, look, yeah. these circumstances are always difficult because, you know, we ran, we run in a very similar circle. And, you know, she was my best friend from what, 15, 16? So we had mutual friends. Um, I'm extremely blessed and proud I will use that word to say that the majority of people who were mutual between the two of us but my friends know the truth and have stuck Mm -hmm. by me through it Mm -hmm. and actually I haven't bar her lost anybody of great importance from my life because Mm -hmm. the fact is is that (laughs) everybody else in my life knew knew the truth and could see this situation for what it was and so you know, I lost one person who was really fundamental in my life, but I've been really lucky to not have to lose any others. Her narrative, whatever that may be, I still don't know. But because we run in such a slimmer circle and the industry that I was in, the entertainment industry, is is quite small when you're in it. You know, she's filling her life with a lot of people who are still very aware of me, who I still have very, very close connections with because of the workplace um which is part of the reason I had to leave my job um was because I was caught between having to work in an environment where she was so present and was really surrounding herself with people who were very much a part of both our worlds but clearly had no idea what had happened but I wasn't close enough with to kind of explain the situation and also one thing I've chosen not to do is I'm not going to go around town bashing out names that's not what this is about um I'm not revengeful I I'm not trying to affect her life in any way in terms of her career or I want nothing but the best for her truly honestly um but in terms of the accountability that I needed for myself you know, that's, that's what I fight for, for myself, for others. I'm fighting for accountability and justice. It's not about a damnation of the person or a revenge. Um, so there are still people that run in our circles who are very much a part of her world and her narrative, which is why I had to move away from it. Well, one of the reasons why I moved away from it. Um, but, you know, that's always going to be the case. With, with with anybody, you know, there will always be people out there who know something different to you um, or who are sucked into other things. You know, it's not it's not unique to survivors. It's human that, you know, you can't expect everybody to always be on your side. But the fact is, those most important to me are. And I truly, 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 truly believe that the truth always comes out. And I know that I am living my life truthfully and authentically. And should they not be, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel nothing but compassion and sympathy for that because I think it's a ticking time clock, really. And I'm just grateful that I'm not a part of it anymore. That's so compassionate. And I'm so in awe of your capacity to, to show that amount of compassion to someone who obviously has treated you awfully. And I think that that the fact that you are supported by people who know your who believe you and that you 
do as you say have this knowledge of your of your own worth and your own value I think that's that's just so so important look it takes a lot of work you know I'm not some kind of preaching you know and there will be moments where I'm like it takes a lot of work to remain in a very centered neutral not neutral but kind of centered and compassionate mind space towards people that have hurt you but you know so much of what other people do to other people or to yourself and pain that is inflicted onto you is so much more about that person and to see you know it still breed that toxicity still breed Mm. and that it wasn't quite the lesson perhaps for her than it has been for me you know I I just I just feel for that because I feel liberated in having come out of it. So I, I only ever look at it in a kind of desperate plea that nobody gets hurt the way I was. Mm. But also at the same time, no one could have told me that or warned me that, you know, so you, you can't tell people what they don't want to hear. And it's not my job to go Unfortunately, when we're talking about uncriminal things such as narcissistic abuse and a kind of spoken abuse, it's hard to be a savior in that regard. You know, it's really about an awakening and an understanding. Um, And my main focus is on fighting the fight for survivors because it's so wrapped up in all that kind of thing. Um, And I, I believe you know, that is the most important thing and will cause a kind of domino effect through the other worlds of abuse. Yeah, in your in your story, in your article, you are incredibly open about what this what this guy did and how this kind of ex best friend of yours acted and and you do you do show the interconnections between the physical abuse that you were subjected to but also like the compounding effect of the narcissistic abuse and so I completely I can completely see what you're saying in terms of that this will highlight how it will highlight the other types of abuse and how it can actually have an impact on existing trauma what made you want to to write this article in such an incredibly open way because you do obviously for legal reasons you do give them other names but you do explicitly say this is what he did and this is what she did what made you want to be so open about it because I think it's just so brave because I think it's important and the thing is the only way I feel that I can make a change join the fight and also release myself of my own guilt, anxiety, shame, struggle to just exist in my truth and narrative is to share it, but to share it in its most truthful and honest form, you know? Um, Like, let's call a spade a spade. Mm -hmm. And no, I can't quite, 99.9% I can call a spade a spade, but that extra 1% has got to have some legal protection. I understand why, I get it. Um, but it's been hard because, you know, I don't necessarily agree with that from time to time. And I think it is important that people are aware, but people make mistakes also. And 
I do believe in forgiveness and I do believe in, in, in moving forward. And I also don't believe that everybody's mistakes should define them. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, you can't get any of that if you're not someone that's willing to put their hand up and take responsibility for what you've done. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why we have the justice system to account for those that can't do that. And if the justice system isn't working for you, which the justice system is not working for survivors, because again, look at the statistics, I'm not going to justify that. I will just send you to the math that's online. Um, you know, it's it's a real struggle to get through life and live every day knowing that the people that have so mentally and physically abused you and hurt you and called you such great loss and pain are running around completely free of charge um with i don't i mean i hope not but who's to say and a complete unawareness of the damage that they've done and also when you have that you can't create any kind of education in 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 allowing others to understand what was done what went wrong what not to do you know we we need all these things you know for education to work to cause prevention we need it for prevention to work to cause accountability we need it for accountability to work for justice we need it we need all these things to come together and the only way that we kind of raise the kind of big mirror up against society and go this is the truth this is what's happening is by speaking it you know it's it's one of the greatest tools and powers that that we have is our voices um and I wasn't ready for so long but it got to a point for me where I didn't have another option you know there really was no other choice um I had tried to live in denial and that didn't work I you know tried to handle it in the circle in which it was happening and you know discuss that with my friend and and try to fix the problem there that didn't work I then tried to take it to the legal level to get some acknowledgement and justice that didn't work so it really was it was all I had left and it was that or you know a very 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 dark place it was that of on some days fall off the edge of the earth you know I needed there to be space for my truth and for a very long time there wasn't um and when the person you trust you know when someone you trust violates you that way you lose all perspective of truth and then when the person that you've trusted with that truth for so long (laughs) violates that truth you know you you really do look at the world and just think oh my goodness like what is what is going on you don't trust anything or anyone or you know it's an incredibly difficult space to come out of but sadly it's really not uncommon um and the only way we fight it is by using my voice with the truth you know sharing that making it clear making it heard not everybody's going to go with you, but you can hope 90% will, or that someone that's heard you is inspired by that and it changes something for them or, you know, everything can be compounded. Um, but for me, it, it was my last straw for my mm. own sanity was, and I was told not to do it for numerous reasons by numerous people, but I couldn't not. <laughs> 
at the end I just could not I mean it was it got to a point where it was a complete unnegotiable and as I said I truly believe that the truth always comes out do people not want you to write it do you think out of trying to protect you or what do you think yeah I think there was a huge element of protection in terms of what could come back at me and any backlash it was a tricky situation because you know I I wasn't a hugely successful actress but I had some kind of public profile so I was kind of like there was a lot of you have a voice but not enough of a voice you know not enough people are gonna care but you're also not a nobody so you know if you put it out there it's not going to be this kind of friends and family scenario it could get picked up by press but also at the same time it might not because also who cares so I was kind of in this real (laughs) middle point where people were telling me you're a somebody but you're also a nobody so that means that you should be silent and I just thought that was again excuse my French bollocks and everybody is a somebody and everybody's voice is allowed to be heard and used however whenever if ever they so choose to do so and I wasn't going to let where I was at in my career and where I'd been in my career fear me into not speaking out when Mm -hmm. I wasn't able to move forward in my career because what had happened to me you know if it felt like um yeah, it just it was too much of me taking the full brunt of consequence whilst my perpetrator and ex-friend were getting to reap the rewards of life, seemingly, and, and in each other's company and fool everyone else that was around them into thinking that. And not only did I find it incredibly dangerous for those that they surrounded themselves with, and I couldn't bear that on so many levels you know it just wasn't fair that my literally my whole world was falling around around me Mm -hmm. and you know and and I wasn't the one that had done anything wrong you know I'm not perfect but in terms of this circumstance in terms of the rape and the narcissistic abuse and the trauma of betrayal from two friends on completely different levels mind and body I didn't it wasn't something I chose it wasn't something that was my fault and to have been the only person that was acknowledging that and being reprimanded for it just blew my mind the injustice of it sent me almost off the edge Um, Mm. and speaking writing you know, after being let down by the system that should have given me what I needed to mm. survive, you know, it, it was it was my only option. It was the only thing I had left. Um, mm. And it for me, so far, so good. It's it's worked in some kind of release. Again, there are good days and bad days, but for the majority, mm. you know, I've met incredible people through doing this, mm. um, and that has just been liberating to know that you are so not alone I mean it's Mm. desperately sad but also it's you know it's wonderful in that sense after feeling Mm. so alone for so long I'm so happy for you that you you found this space and that it's liberating for you and I implore anyone who's listening to go and read your article because it is it is beautiful Uh, it's beautifully written and as as heartbreaking as it is and
You've been listening to Recognise Red, the podcast. Thank you to Kira for sharing your story. I will leave a link in the show notes below if you want to read her article. And tune in next week to hear the second part of this conversation where Kira discusses her experience of reporting and the work that she is doing with I Am Arla. 